Hi everyone, welcome back to a fresh, new, and exciting season of Through the Eyes of a Therapist. I'm your host and creator of the podcast, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified therapist. Just to recap, last season was all about exploring different kinds of mental health related careers. Lots of you listeners absolutely love the episodes about social work, equine therapy, and contemplative therapy, just to name a few. The podcast now has close to 4,000 subscribers and all five-star reviews. So thank you to all those who have taken the time to click and subscribe and to those who have reviewed the podcast. This season is all about movies, shows, books, and current events. I've invited back a few of my therapist friends who may sound familiar to you from past episodes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this combo between Elisa D. and I about Harry Potter's early life. All right, so we're back on the podcast, and you may recognize my guest today because she's been featured on the podcast a couple times before. And you may know her from our most popular episode on the podcast, which is called Introverts Unite. And so we have Elisa again today. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm really happy that everyone liked the introvert episode so much. Me too. It was a fun episode. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, just in case people haven't heard you talk before? Sure. I'm a, a licensed master social worker, and I have completed all my clinical hours, so I will soon be a licensed clinical social worker. Yay! Yay! And, uh, you know, I work with primarily with victims of crime, mostly kids. Um, yeah, and that's about it. I've been doing this for about four years, so almost four years. So, so you've been doing this for four years? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's four a, years. That's yeah. a long time to be doing something. It's like yeah, I agree. Thousands is, of hours. It is thousands of, of experience. Hours. Absolutely. So I kind of feel like uh, um, I'm strong in childhood trauma. Oh, I'm strong in abuse. Yeah. <laughs> You're strong in the areas of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's put that into like <laughs> into context. context. Yeah. Um, you have lots of experience with that population. Absolutely. So, and it makes sense that today we're going to talk a little bit about a character who may have experienced trauma. We will get the expert opinion in a few minutes. Can I tell you how I came across Harry Potter? Yes. Okay. So I was, um, I think, um, a sophomore year in college at the university. And um, during the summers where I was a work-study in the dean's office, it would get really slow. So back then, the union was right across from the office where I worked, and I would just walk across and buy used books sometimes so I could read and pass the time. And I, I kept hearing about Harry Potter. I kept hearing about it and hearing about it, and I saw it in the um, children's late class section. So I just picked it up and took it to the desk, and I just read it. And... I got about halfway through, and I was like, I must read all of them immediately, and I just ran out that day. At the time, the first three books were already out, so I just went straight to Barnes & Noble and bought the other two, and then I tried to find out when the next one was going to be out, so, and from then on, I was at every midnight party, and I harassed all my friends into reading them, so then we were all at the midnight parties. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, Harry Potter, the series and the books have a way of sucking people in. They're very engaging. 
Um, as you know, I stopped reading for fun after grad school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't even read like a billboard. I was like so done. <laughs> um, and then Elisa was like, you should try and read these. And I'm like, okay. So then she let me borrow the first book. And I was like, so captivated. It's just so interesting. And the way she writes is so, I don't know, like. It's just really, I think it's really fun. Yeah, and all the the world building's really good. Yeah, because it definitely takes you away to like another place, and it's just relaxing, and it's mm-hmm. not. But it's also entertaining, like not boring, and like there's yes. adventure and all that stuff. So it's yeah. pretty cool. And it's been very different to read because when I first read the books, I mean, I have a completely different experience reading it now. I mean, when I the first time I read it, I never thought, "Oh my God, what is happening to this child?" Um, that didn't come until recently for me. So it's definitely different reading it now than it was like 15 years ago you know yeah so you had an untrained eye before yeah and now you have the trained eye and you read it again you're like holy moly what is happening to this kid yeah um yeah and I didn't have I didn't have the experience of reading it before I was a therapist and read it while I was a therapist or I am a therapist and I'm kind of like okay yeah there's some stuff definitely wrong with the people around him right. and like poor kid's been through a lot so that's what we're going to talk about today so we're going to focus kind of on the first part of the series where uh, we're introduced to Harry and kind of some of his personal background his family background his living conditions and things like that and since two therapists are kind of looking at this character. We're going to kind of look at it like if he's one of our clients or something, right? And kind of just talk about maybe some of the challenges and some of the strengths that he has and what we could do differently to help this kid. If we were able to intervene, then what would we do? Right. I don't know. So he's fake, so we can totally diagnose him too if we want. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Since he's fake. So... Or what do we learn about Harry in the first book? So we know that he's living in what they call the muggle world, right? Which is like with humans. Right. With um, non-magical people. Non-magical people. Yes. He's living with his aunt and his uncle, um, the Dursleys, and his maternal aunt, right? And he's been there since he was a year old. Hmm. So he was like an infant. He was an infant, yes. When he was taken into, I guess, their custody. So what do you think as far as his first year of life, having his parents still, that probably gave him a lot of building blocks, right, that we say are important for babies to Mm -hmm. be cared for, right? Right, so... In developmental psychology and early childhood development, we know that the first three years of a child's life are super important as far as, like, attachment Mm -hmm. and learning um, and milestones and being able to develop properly cognitively, emotionally, physically. Um, So in the first year of his life, he had his parents, Mm -hmm. his biological parents, caring for him. Um... And so, yeah, definitely I feel like that was a really important and good thing that happened in his life. Um, That's definitely a strength of his versus 
maybe being born and then having a tragedy strike almost immediately. At least he got a year of nurturing from a primary caregiver. Um, and then we know that, like, bonds between moms and kids are really important. Right. So at least he got that. You know, what's really interesting to me now is that I'm thinking about it is we don't actually know what his life was like as a baby. So even when he gets to his aunt and uncle, you know, around age one, I don't know if she'd hold him, feed him, you know, that eye contact, that interaction, that um, praise and valid. Like, we don't know. Like, nothing's mentioned about him. Um, or obviously she cared for him because he's alive, right? Right. Um, but we don't know to the gr- degree to which she'd nurture him, you know? But I feel like it. there has to be something there or he wouldn't have had the personality that he has when we meet him in the book at age 10. Right. Like, we don't know the extent to which the aunt either neglected him mm-hmm. or was nurturing to him or right. it was not abusive or abusive like we don't really know that about his history so we just know that he was adopted by the aunt and then we kind of like encounter him when he's 10 right. and there's this whole chunk of his life missing from history mm-hmm. and even from him so he doesn't know a lot of things hmm. right he doesn't know he the, he'd been told his parents died in a car accident um, so he doesn't, he, there's a lot of pieces he doesn't really have either. He doesn't know a lot about his parents, mm-hmm. um, that whole time. So it emphasizes a lot that he, he gets hand-me-down clothes. He doesn't have a lot of material things. He doesn't have a lot of toys, um, while his cousin had all that stuff, right? And they, uh, J.K. Rowling makes a big point about saying how spoiled he was and, how he'd count his gifts, you know, and if he didn't have as many or more than the year before, he'd get mad, right? So you have two kids with completely different... They're being raised in the same house, but completely differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And also... <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I'm not editing that out. That's funny. Um, I'm sitting on a on a on an exercise, exercise ball, ball. Just so that you know. <laughs> and I think I rolled and squeaked a little. So if you hear that, that's what that was. Um, so, yeah. And it's not like the family was impoverished. And then they both, the cousin and Harry didn't just have anything it was like they were treated differently and it was very distinct right like the cousin or the biological child of the aunt was favored over harry yeah and so i don't know do you think that's kind of like emotionally scarring or like abusive like i don't know i think it's a little bit i mean obviously if you grow up like that right what do you you know you're not as valued or as cared for, right? Mm-hmm. So you, he's going to be, even if he doesn't have the vocabulary to express, like he can't say it or describe it, he knows he's less or mm-hmm. he feels less, you know? And yeah. he's described as having me, being made fun of at school because of his oversized clothes, which he's getting from his cousin, and patched up clothing. And, uh, you know, it's described that on his birthday, I was just laughing about this because it sounds funny, but... Uh, for his 10th birthday, Harry's given a coat hanger and a pair of Uncle Vernon's old socks. So, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds kind of funny when you read it like that, but if you picture a poor kid getting that for their birthday, you're kind 
kind of like Like in real life. That would be sad, you know? Right, right. (laughs) But, um, interestingly, though, he gets socks, which are very symbolic in Harry Potter, if you remember, later on with Mm -hmm. uh, Dobby and stuff. Yeah. But we'll get to that when we get to that book. So, but I think this made him humble, right? So, Mm. you know, as he later finds out that he's this famous wizard, right? He can't really conceptualize what it's like to be famous or to be powerful or to be... Or even, like, favored or valued because it didn't happen for a lot of his life. And he doesn't see himself that way. So that may have been a strength for him, you know, and that he's Mm -hmm. able to really see himself as just a regular, kind of regular person instead of his whole life. Imagine he'd grown up always thinking, I'm the chosen one, I'm the best, I'm... You know, I have this, um, I I might have this great destiny to be the greatest wizard ever. And then what kind of person would he have been, you know? Right. I I don't know if I saw it on Instagram or Facebook, and I don't know who it was, but it was like a meme or something. And it talked about, do you know anybody uh, that's really successful now, like Oprah or Dwayne Johnson or like, you know, real life people who are super successful? And that they didn't have any adversity, like, in their life, right? So it kind of makes me think of that. Like, he came from this home where he had to face a lot of adversity and stress and, like, had this traumatic past with, like, his parents and then maybe not being the favorite kid and being bullied at school. So, like, that adversity maybe made him, like, a little more resilient and able to handle... Um, like, with humility, like, his position later in life or something. I I agree, yeah. So then we know that at some point he kind of gets, like, rescued from this situation. Yeah, on his birthday, right? That's when Hagrid comes. And, well, first the letters start coming, which the Dursleys, they try to pretend that they're not. But, you know, eventually... Finally, you know, uh, Hagrid kind of rescues Harry from the Dursleys, and that was the ball again, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, and takes him, kind of tells him, hey, you know, you're a wizard. And then that's the first time he realizes magic is a real thing that exists. He would make things happen randomly. You know, th- weird things would happen, as he would describe it. Like uh, when he goes to the zoo and the glass kind of disappears in front of the boa constrictor. Right. So, but he didn't know he was really making that happen or how he was doing that. Mm-hmm. So he has no control over it. Uh, but then when Hagrid tells him, you know, you're a wizard, um, it opens up all sorts of new doors for him. What kind of parallels to like real life do you find? How could a kid in real life relate to Harry Potter and feel like even though they don't have magical powers, mm-hmm. maybe there's something special about them that can get them through some hard stuff? I think that when he leaves, right, I think when he leaves that environment that's, you know, somewhat abusive with being kept in a cupboard under the stairs, um, when he, and, you know, that's the point at which now, reading it, I'm like, somebody call CPS, this child is being kept from adequate, you know, uh, you know, housing, living conditions, yeah, living yeah. conditions. Mm-hmm. and he is... Uh, also, um, not starved, but definitely not given an equal share of food, uh, which is why he's really skinny, right? Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's a neglectful thing. But I think when he leaves, he finds his people, 
and I think that's something that right with with school I don't know when this is going to air but right now in real time school is about to start and I think you actually or someone we work with shared a post about how the summer can be a really difficult time for certain kids who are struggling with things at home maybe not getting three meals a day maybe watching younger siblings while parents work right and when they go to school that's like a safe place for them mm-hmm. you know I think that's what that Hogwarts is for Harry it's his safe place but it's even better because he lives there you know mm-hmm. he lives there he eats there he has his classes there his friends so it becomes like and it's not just a place where he goes for a few hours a day it's like his new home mm-hmm. yeah it's like his escape from instead of his house where he lives in the muggle world being like his safe place where he feels like oh i can go home and relax from the mm-hmm. school year um no it's like stressful right um because of the living conditions and also the attitude of people he lives with let's go back to what you mentioned which is his living conditions and like if if he were our client or like i came to you and i described this situation like there's this kid and he's kind of like skinny looking and like he had like tattered clothes but then i looked in the waiting room and maybe saw his cousin and like his adoptive parents like really well dressed and like overweight like there's a distinct difference like yeah absolutely right they really (laughs) needed a home visit (laughs) yeah like show me harry's room you know where's the home study where where's his room i want to see it and Mm -hmm. if it's a closet under the stairs basically um that would not be adequate you know for any child Mm -hmm. again the way that she the way that the author writes the novel um it kind of is not funny but it's kind of taken like we just go with it we don't question it Mm -hmm. so much we're kind of like this is odd but the dursleys are kind of those characters like the evil step whatever Mm -hmm. you know they play that role in the books and so kind of to give the story more reason to go elsewhere to change the setting to take him on this adventure um so i see where it's you know literary wise it's kind of necessary but if this were a real person i would be calling you know people (laughs) immediately Mm -hmm. because uh, i'd be worried for his safety i mean if he's being kept from food and adequate shelter um is he being you know abused in other ways i'd be worried about that Mm -hmm. i also wonder about like when he was a baby of course we don't have details about maybe what that was like like if there was a social services person involved yeah i don't think there wasn't because you know (laughs) dumbledore kind of drops him off on the doorstep right so uh i mean i guess he's fortunate he was even taken in by by zant you know Um, yeah because she's she was not expecting that and she kind of had a contentious relationship with her sister at that point but Mm -hmm. she takes him in you know um also wondering what all the wizards were thinking leaving him there i mean you know clearly they knew he was not going to be super welcome there he did for the whole protective thing you know it was a an environment where he would be safe from uh voldemort so there's reason for that but still i mean everyone was kind of like really you're leaving him here yeah (laughs) so he'd be safe from voldemort which i guess is important is a bigger threat in in the story 
But, yeah, he had to live through some crappy circumstances. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, if this were a regular kid um, in real life and we found out that his cousin was, like, super spoiled, I would want to yeah. know all that. Like, from the client, right? Like Yeah. I think Carrie's coping mechanism was just to obey, right? Because he was outnumbered in that home. You know, and so his the the smoothest path for him would always have been to obey. And um, in the book, he's like making breakfast and stuff. He's a little bit, you know, almost like a servant in some ways. Mm -hmm. You know, because not a lot of children that I know, you know, that age have to make breakfast for their whole family. You know, but he has skills and he's a little bit independent because he is cheated. He's not coddled like Dudley. Mm -hmm. Right, so he has to kind of be more mature. Yeah, it like forces him to kind yeah. of. And I mean, I'm sure he was he would feel angry and and all the stuff, but he didn't show it outwardly very much, unless you know, except for the times when he accidentally made something happen, you know, in the house. Um, but even that was a little bit scary for him because he didn't understand it. But that was kind of the feeling, the emotions kind of breaking through that, you know, that shell. Mm -hmm. Do you think his um, Harry has a history of, like, complex trauma or just, like, regular trauma? Like, I mean, because you and I work a lot with different kids that have trauma. And so yeah. what I mean by regular trauma, maybe I should explain that, is, like, um, an incident. More of an isolated incident. Yeah, like one big thing that happened. Right. Like, obviously, his parents dying when he's little. Um, and then maybe the subsequent, like, removal. That would be called, like, a secondary adversity, mm -hmm. right? Which mm -hmm. is stuff that happens because of trauma. Right. But it can also be traumatic. I mean, I would say definitely complex because he witnessed his mother's death. Yeah. So even though he was only a year old, and you can debate all day about how much a one-year-old remembers, but... Mm -hmm. But uh, it doesn't matter if he remembers it or not, but he was present for it. Right. So that's going to affect him somehow. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to talk about, that even now with different clients that are older, um, where their parents kind of bring up, like, we gather their history, right? Mm -hmm. And we, like, want to know what happened in utero and, like, right after they were born and some of their developmental stuff. And like we said earlier, the first three years are really important. And then maybe we ask the parent, like, did the child witness domestic violence or we're in a tornado or whatever other trauma? And I get kind of like this answer where they want to minimize it. Right. Right? Like, well, they were one, so they don't remember. Right. I've gotten that, too, as well. Like, oh, but they were too little. They don't know what happened. Yeah. And you'd be surprised because every, almost every single time that child remembers, you know, and maybe, in some way. In some way, yeah. And that's what I was going to say is that maybe it's not like an explicit memory in their brain, like yeah. with an image and stuff, but maybe... Like a, what is it called? Like a somatic memory? Right. Or Can I have a mini rant really quick? Yes. Okay, yesterday <laughs> I ahead. was listening to a, 
like one of the crime podcasts and you know no names but they were talking about some crime show i don't know some documentary where abuse occurred at a school and that where the victims apparently were very young like two and a half to three years i don't know what school this is oh my gosh i didn't really listen to all of it i quit listening because the hosts were like well, these kids are making an outcry at two and two and a half years. At that age, I couldn't even say what I wanted for dinner. And so they were saying <laughs> we're <like> that <laughs> <laughs> heavy breathing because and because of that, they didn't think that the doc, that the kids should have been believed or that there should have been a trial because they're too little to make an outcry. And I am like. <laughs> Like, no. That's the point at which I stopped the podcast and deleted it. And I wanted, I was walking the dogs. But I want, if I had been near a computer, I would have written a very strongly worded email to that podcast. Yeah. I mean, because what's wrong with that scenario? Tell us. Articulate, please. <laughs> um, I mean, I go to multiple, multidisciplinary team meetings once a month. Where victims of all ages are able to describe, they may not have the vocabulary, the advanced vocabulary of saying, hey, um, this person did this, this, this to me. Um, No, but they can articulate pain. They can articulate that something was done to them, which normally does not happen in the home by someone. And they articulate like... They can't really, because they don't know the names of body parts, so they'll use other names, right? They'll say, like, pee-pee or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. But they know, hey, something bad happened to me, it was painful, and, like, help me. They're trying to articulate, like, make it stop, like, help me, this person's hurting me, Mm -hmm. you know? And, And they'll do the best they can to communicate that, okay, yeah, maybe they can't use the vocabulary of older kids or adolescents or adults but that doesn't mean it's not happening and that doesn't mean it's not real right right so the argument i think would be like or what you could have written to these people in a nicely worded email (laughs) is like just because abuse happens to somebody who's nonverbal or doesn't have the ability to articulate it doesn't mean that it didn't happen and that it wasn't painful Right. right um or that it didn't impact them in some right. way, so, just because they can't say it. Exactly. And so simply because Harry may not have been old enough to understand, holy smokes, my mom was murdered in front of me, doesn't mean he didn't understand something is wrong. You know, I am in pain emotionally, right? Where is mm-hmm. my mom? Like, you know. Right, right. Because by one, you know who your mom is. Definitely. Definitely, Bef- yeah. Way before that, but still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Definitely. And then so that sudden, like, absence of her could have been traumatic. Sure. um, Impacted him. Then maybe going to a place where he wasn't necessarily wanted. Yeah, nurtured. Wasn't nurtured, was seen as a burden. um, Probably emotional abuse, like verbal abuse. Um, We don't know the extent of the neglect, but it... I mean, that's, like, borderline stuff, right? Like, I'm clothing the kid... But, so I can't get in trouble because it's the bare minimum, but still there's this huge difference in the way they treat the kids in that home. 
Yeah, so I would say definitely, yeah, complex trauma, maybe like chronic stress being in the home. And then so being taken to Hogwarts was definitely a huge protective factor for him. Mm -hmm. I wonder what would have happened had he stayed in the muggle world at that place. Like how quickly he would have deteriorated or if he would have been motivated to like get out of there. (laughs) It's hard to say, but I do think that once he hit puberty and all those emotions would turn more into mostly anger probably. Mm-hmm. more than other emotions maybe um i mean i don't know for sure but um i think a lot could have gone wrong at that point yeah i mean because if we see a kid with kind of this similar history as harry in real life where they don't get rescued from that situation right. like what do we see we see you know adolescents who are expressing all this turmoil they're acting it out in behaviors right and negative behaviors whether that's drugs or whether that's getting in a lot of fights whether that's um you know i've come across kids who just shoplifted and 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 like broke not just like put something in their pocket but broke a window of a store and you know all of that is just anger and frustration and it has nowhere to go Mm -hmm. getting a lot getting into trouble a lot you know boys especially because girls are more they internalize more right so they keep the feelings in and that's where you get a lot of self-harm that's where you get a lot of um, you know feeling like they want to die not to say boys can't have those feelings but boys usually they externalize a lot more frequently frequently. you see like outward behavior versus like internal like anxiety depression kind of stuff it's Mm -hmm. like you see it yes yeah so thankfully he was rescued from that situation it sounds like almost immediately he makes friends and starts to realize that what happened to him going into the wizarding world is like a really good thing for him um it sounds like he adapts really well yeah. Uh, and you know the friends that he picks right off the bat in the train are the friends that really are more like him because if you recall in the beginning he gets approached immediately by Malfoy, right? Who's wealthy, who's well dressed, who's um telling him, you know, you don't want to hang out with these guys. They're the wrong sort. People might think they're the wrong sort of people or you're with the wrong sort of people, something like that. And I think to Harry that was just another Dudley to him. Somebody wealthy, spoiled, that has everything. And so he did not want any part of that. Because he had ten years of that. You know? Right. Yeah, he already, he recognized it. He right. recognized those characteristics and couldn't be manipulated. Yeah. He's like, yep, I, already, I live with one of you. <laughs> exactly. So, I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. And then I feel like him having Dumbledore... I think is really important. Not that he's replacing, like, his dad or something, but you can tell that that relationship is really helpful and impactful and, like, positive. And that's definitely another protective factor. Like, if this were our client, we'd be like, oh, yeah, Dumbledore's the man. Like, we can, you know, have him mentor Harry and, like, have him use coping skills or, like, learn new things or... Yeah. Yeah. I just wish he'd had someone who was there more frequently, right? Because Dumbledore just kind of swoops in and out, right? 
True. He swoops in, oh, you gives him this information and kind of disappears again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe Hagrid was like a good yeah, Hagrid initial too. father figure. Yeah. I think it's good that he had a, several people that were supportive because, you know, Dumbledore was off doing his important wizard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Hagrid, Mr. Weasley, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't remember if he meets him in the first book, but anyway. Uh, Mrs. Weasley, he does meet her in book one. Um, and, you know, kind of his teachers are become kind of a surrogate family and his friends. Right, yeah. And so, if this were a real kid and he were under our care or treatment and services, we'd want to really keep him there. Keep him there. <laughs> Keep him out. Don't, don't ever send, don't send him home. <laughs> yeah. Remove him from that home. But then also um, make sure that he has that, like, village around him, right? Like, those people that can really mentor him and be helpful <clears throat> and um, teach him stuff. And those those people all definitely are, like, the protective factor people. And that's what we want to do in real life with kids, right? Like, yeah. we try to help schools make these connections with these kids and like and we want kids to find things that they're interested in right because if they don't have anything they're really interested in or passionate about um you know statistically they're more likely to just be born and get in trouble so to speak right so the fact that harry finds quidditch right that he realizes he's really good at it right off the bat Mm -hmm. you know um that's another strength. We would want kids to be involved. We would f- maybe find him a program like Big Brothers or Big Sisters, right? If we needed that additional mentor figure in his life. Um, I, wonder if, I wonder if the British have that, but we would want something like that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, for him to be involved in activities, have more mentors in his life. Um, yeah. And definitely, like, a sense of purpose, like, internally, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, building up all these assets around him um, or around the kid, whether it's Harry or a kid in real life, um, having the teachers be involved, like you said, um, other people, like, surrogate family members, like you said, and then having an activity, but then also having purpose. And I think that's something important that Harry finds at Hogwarts, right? Like, he's like, oh, this is my identity now. Like becomes really well developed and like he starts to find his purpose yeah. in like all his adventures and all that stuff so that would be ideally like a pretty good setup there right <laughs> hogwarts for everybody <laughs> so we probably should talk about the troll when they fight the troll in the dungeon okay so the troll gets into hogwarts right and this is the first moment really where um, I mean, he was already friends with Ron, but this is the moment where the third person becomes part of their group, right, Hermione? Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of go in there to save her because they had kind of said a couple of things that made her feel bad. They kind of excluded her a little bit, right, um, for, for being a little bit of a know-it-all at school. Um, they were a little annoyed with her, and so she ran in there and... Uh, they felt bad. They felt responsible for it. So they want they go in there to help her, and um, and we know that you know when you face a crisis together, as friends, right? When you overcome a big challenge, that does bring you closer together, mm-hmm. right? Which is 
we see that all the time, like people who go to grad school together, right, and have a high level of stress, and but they get through it together, or people who go into boot camp together, right, they always, those friends, they stay with them usually for forever, or for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's address Snape and Harry. Yeah. Well, the impression that I got is that it's like, I can't really understand, like, Snape... Snape's intentions or like how he feels about Harry like I mean I I don't know in in book one (laughs) okay in book one so I definitely (laughs) would see Snape as kind of an abusive authority figure you know like he abuses his power yeah he abuses his power you know he really does pick on kids and and call them well, I don't think he calls them names, but he makes a lot of sarcastic remarks about them, you know, when they say something wrong, or even when they say something right, because Hermione would raise her hand and he'd be like, you know, like whatever quit, you raising, quit raising your <laughs> hand so much, you know, yeah. so he was one of those teachers that you could not make happy, you know, he, no matter what, he was going to find something bad to say about you. You couldn't please him. Um, and he showed obvious, you know, preferential treatment towards the Slytherins, his own his own house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, honestly, he... I mean, I feel like he didn't... He was a good professor in the sense of he, he knew what he was talking about. But he was not a good professor in the sense of, you know, validating students when they performed well or in really nurturing uh, when they showed skill he would just kind of cut everyone down Mm -hmm. and especially Harry he's pretty I mean he's pretty abusive as far as teachers go pretty abusive to Harry not physically but definitely verbally and emotionally maybe you know I haven't really I know that in my work with clients in real life there's usually some with some kids particularly maybe kids that are like 9 to 15 or 17 yeah. like they there's something with like a teacher or something like yeah. it's not super common but or a coach or a coach mm-hmm. or a principal or a school counselor that like said something or did something that was yeah. offensive to the kid but also like objectively probably not really ethical or (laughs) like a good thing um so I mean maybe Snape like his character like the way she wrote it is kind of like an exaggerated version of like these teachers in real life but I don't know I mean I don't think it's that exaggerated honestly you think so well you used to be a teacher so do you think that there's really people like Snape out there like that are actually like out to get like kids no way yes oh my god that's horrible (laughs) (laughs) I laugh about it but it's like how I cope with that information because that's like really terrible um Oh, yeah. I heard so many inappropriate things teachers had said. And, you know, as when I started, kids did not all, every single kid did not have a cell phone. By the time I left, every single kid had a cell phone, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, (laughs) let me tell you about all the kids recording a lot of people that I used to work with. And um, those people than with that evidence being removed, usually. Uh, but, uh, uh, 
no, I believe it. Absolutely believe it. There's always at least one teacher. I mean, this is a very small school if you think about it.、Mm-hmm. There's only, what, maybe 10 to 12 faculty? I don't know.、Mm-hmm. I haven't counted them, but very small number. In a high school, you have about 200 teachers. You're、mm-hmm. going to have at least maybe 10. You're going to have like 10,、uh, statistically, probably about 10 teachers that are really. Unhappy in life, <laughs> extremely bitter, and taking that out on the kids. Now, hey, you know, everyone listening out there, I love teachers. It's the hardest job in the world, but it can be overwhelming, and some people cannot cope with that that overwhelming,、um, constant, you know, kind of challenges coming at you 24 7 from all sides. Like, you know, I don't want to do this, miss, I don't get it, blah, 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 what's this? or They don't have a pencil, they don't have paper, you, you know? So、yeah. it's, very, it's a very difficult job. And if you do not have a lot of patience, and if that is not what you really want to be doing, you're going to be a mess. Yeah. If you're not prepared, you're going to be a mess. So I absolutely believe that there's people like Snape out there. And you, you have a, people can email you. Right?、Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, they can. So I would ask people out there if you had really bad teachers and the kinds of things that they said to you, please email Crystal and tell her what those teachers would say or do in your class that you know, kind of drove you crazy when you were a student. Because I bet a lot of people out there can give us examples. Write to Crystal at through the eyes of a therapist.org. There you go. <laughs> But do you think because teaching is so difficult that Snape was just like burned out? Or was he like evil? Snape's a super complicated figure. Yeah, maybe、And、we shouldn't we, get into that. <laughs> we can't really get into that now、mm-hmm. because then we'll spoil the rest of the episodes, right? Yeah. So I think that we should save、uh, time for Snape in book seven. Okay. But. Those of you that have read Harry Potter, you know there's a lot of reasons why he's a very unhappy human being.、Mm-hmm. Right. Let's say Harry comes to you and he's like, You're the school counselor, or you're a counselor or therapist、right. that he's coming to, and he's like, I went to the Mirror of Erised. I mean, the Mirror of Erised <laughs> would be such a fantastic tool for any therapist, right?、Mm-hmm. If we could stand our clients in front of this mirror. And we could also see what they see, not just that person see it,、mm-hmm. right? We would be able to see what it is they truly want in life, right?、Mm-hmm. And so this is stuff that is sometimes difficult to figure out because sometimes people themselves don't know.、Mm-hmm. And it's through talking, working through a lot of things and processing a lot of things that people eventually realize, oh, this is what I really want my life to be,、mm-hmm. right? So imagine if you had a shortcut like the mirror. And you could put your clients in front of it, and they just see what it is that they want in life. And you just kind of like be a fly like, on the wall.、Ah, yeah. Yeah. Like, that makes sense.、Oh, okay. You know, that would cut down on some time, probably. So I think that would be a really great therapy tool if we had that. Harry doesn't see, he's a kid that's been deprived of material things a lot, right?、Um, he doesn't have fancy clothes, he doesn't have. He finds out right when he gets to Hogwarts or right before that he has a bunch of money that his parents left him. But he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about, you know, buying things and possessing things. He looks in the mirror and he sees his family, right? Which I think for an orphan is a pretty,、um, 
natural wish or natural desire to want to, to have a family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we were able to see that or have him tell us about what he saw, that would be helpful information. Maybe in, like, helping him make meaning of his traumatic experiences. Yeah. And that that's something that really hurt him emotionally, right? Um, because even he some, he feels like he doesn't remember himself, right? Mm-hmm. Later on, we realize there's some stuff there uh, in the other books. In that moment, you can see that all of this stuff has affected him. Because the one thing he wants is his family, his mom, his dad, mm-hmm. you know, and himself. And then we can't say that he don't remember because he was one. Right. Because now he's 10, almost right. 11 or whatever, right. and sees them. And I I, don't, I think he remembers. I think he yeah. remembers. But he has bought this whole thing about the car accident, right? Until he's told otherwise. So I think it was just more like buried to protect him, you know? Because our brains can protect us in a lot of ways, right? From trauma. So I think that I obviously do believe that he remembers, but it was a little bit buried. What do you think of people in real life that, like, don't completely tell their kids the truth about what happened when they were, like, one or two? Because that's happened to me before where I hear from clients or caregivers, they're like, you know what, there's this information that this person or this client doesn't know about. We haven't been completely honest. We didn't want to hurt him. Or we didn't want to tell him the truth for whatever reason. I think that um, that's a difficult... It's a really tough spot to be in because parents don't want to hurt their kids with information that is sad or traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. But usually, in my experience with clients, kids know. They know not everything, but they've got like little tiny puzzle pieces. And what kids do is... They don't take that information and go, something happened. They go, I caused something bad to happen. And so when they don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, they can't make sense of it. They just feel like they've done something bad or wrong or whatever is happening in their life that's wrong. It's somehow because of that. Yeah, like because they don't have the whole truth, whatever snippets they have, Mm -hmm. they try to make sense of it. But... For some reason, it's either... The way they make sense of it is not accurate. Right, because they can't conceptualize, oh, adults did this and this happened because X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. The only way kids can make sense of this is as the world relates to them. They are, you know, they are the center of their own world because they're little. And the only thing they know is somehow I did this. Mm-hmm. Or because of me, this person left. Or because of me, this person died. And when they don't know the whole truth, that makes that even bigger. Because they, they don't have the truth. Yeah. And then, you know, I've had maybe a couple of parents or caregivers say, like, well, do I tell them the truth? Like, right. I'm like, I can't tell you what to do. <laughs> uh, yeah. But let's look at how this is going to affect him. Like, right. are we going to do more harm? Are we going to do good with this information um does the kid how much do they actually know because like you said they probably know something yeah usually Um, they know something mm -hmm. and trust me kids they're always listening and then it's funny how much information you know parents will be like they don't know any of this or they don't remember any of this and then when i'm in session with just a child 
I find out they know a lot. They know a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know more, way more than the parent thinks they know. Right, yeah. So they're not, like, so naive. Yeah. We don't work at the grief center, right? But that we have one in town and exists, the grief center. Is that what it's called? I think it's called, yeah, the Children's Grief Center. Children's Grief Center. So they operate differently, but they have said that they will not take on clients when the, cl- when the kids don't know the whole truth. Right? I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of like to go through the grieving process and come to terms with what's happened. You know, the center makes it very clear that the truth is very important. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, we, we don't feel like we're going to tell parents, well, you have to tell them the truth. But it seems to be important in the healing process in a lot of places want you to tell the kids the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we were to refer Harry to the Children's Grief Center, like, we would have to prepare the caregivers or the custodians at that time Mm -hmm. and tell them, Harry needs to know exactly what happened to his parents. Um, He cannot believe what he was believing, Mm -hmm. and then he can start treatment with us. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Scary. (laughs) Okay, so I think we've covered almost all the important stuff for book one. So we will come back um, with more information on book two, three, four, maybe do it in chunks. What do you think, Elisa? You want to come back for that? I will absolutely come back for that. Those are (laughs) going to be your new highest rated episodes. Right? I'm I'm pretty sure about. After this one, after the introvert one, it's going to be this one, it's going to be those. (laughs) Yeah. It's all one Simon is what I'm saying. (laughs) That's like I make this podcast so like you've got to have me back so thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and for discussing this very important topic of Harry Potter absolutely and you know anyone that hasn't read it yet please do it's it's a really good book it is it's so captivating all right thank you very much and we will talk to you all again soon about the next few books bye everyone bye I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified therapist. To get into contact with me, please visit www.throughtheeyesofatherapist.org. I will be going on maternity leave for a few weeks, but do not fear everyone. I will be back with more episodes of Through the Eyes of a Therapist. Until next time. This is one last shout out to Elisa. Happy birthday.